in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today I want to speak about um, a topic regarding uh, the role of emotions in the spiritual life. Um, of course we know that emotions are very important in our, in our life. Emotions can be the motivator to do a good work. Um, maybe if we feel like compassion on someone, it drives us and motivates us and gives us zeal to want to help them or serve them in some way um, to care about them, right? Um, emotions are can be a very positive thing. Emotions can help us to seek justice. Emotions can help us to care for others. Um, and also emotions can be enjoyable. Like we can feel positive emotions and that makes us feel good about ourselves or our life or the situation that we're in. But we also know that emotions can be negative, right? Emotions can be painful. And emotions sometimes can be a hindrance to doing good. So for instance, if you know, I, I know that I should pray, but my emotions are, I don't feel like praying. Uh, I, I feel lazy. I feel tired. I feel whatever the case might be. I'm not motivated to pray. So it can also be a hindrance. So the same thing, like I could have the emotion of, you know, wanting to pray all the prayers of the day and reading the whole Bible and doing all kinds of positive things, but I can also have the emotion of not wanting to do any of that, right? So I want to investigate a little bit about what is the role of the emotion, specifically in the spiritual life, and how we should see uh, uh, emotions. So we ask this question is, how should we worship God? Um, in Luke chapter 10, the Lord said, um, you shall love the Lord your God, or sorry, not, this is not the Lord. He answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. So saying when we are worshiping God, we, we worship him with our entire being. Like everything that God gave us, we offer it to God. So if he gave us mind, we offer him the mind. He gave us heart, we offer the heart. He gave us strength, we offer all of our strength. And this is the kind of the, the baseline of when we understand what is worship. Worship is giving to God everything he has given us, right? Like not keeping back anything that he has given us, but offering ourselves completely to him in every possible way. Everything that he gave us, we um, offer it back to him. Um, when the Lord was speaking with the Samaritan woman, he says, But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. Okay, so we can ask the question is, what is the spirit and what is the truth that the Lord is calling us to worship him in, right? Truth is the knowledge of God, right? So how do you worship a God? You have to know him, like you have to know who he is. He exists, he has certain characteristics. When we, you know, when you talk to someone, you need to know who is it that you're talking with, right? So that is the truth. The Spirit is what draws us near to God. The Spirit is what allows the communication with God. The Spirit is what makes us feel the desire and the need to talk, the desire and the need to communicate, the desire and the need to be in the presence of this God based on the knowledge that we have, okay? So here when the Lord said, we worship the Father in spirit and truth, this is what he meant. And the Father is seeking such He's seeking those people to know him and then to take that knowledge of him and to apply it and to live it out in their, in their life. What happens if you have spirit without truth? Okay, if you have spirit without truth, then you have maybe someone who is very zealous and wanting to talk to God, wanting to worship God, wanting to preach, but they're preaching according to their own understanding, not according to the truth, not according to who God really is. In 1 Corinthians 14, it says, Therefore, let him who speaks 
in a tongue pray that he may interpret. So here St. Paul is speaking about those people who God had given the gift of speaking in tongues. And this was a legitimate gift. You know, this wasn't just babbling. Like at the time, this gift that, that the, these disciples received, it was the legitimate speaking in tongues. It was a spiritual gift. It was the Holy Spirit came on them to speak in tongues. Okay? But what was happening in the church is that people would be speaking in tongues. And so this, this, the language that they were speaking, no one understood what it was. And there was no one else there that understood that language for them to interpret the words in a language that everyone in the church could understand. So even though this person is receiving a legitimate gift from God, God is legitimately working in him or her to speak in tongues. But St. Paul is going to say what? Because you don't have understanding or knowledge or what it is that you are speaking, then just stay silent. Right? So this is says, let therefore let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may be that he, that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit and I will also pray with understanding. I will sing with the spirit and I will also sing with understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks since he does not understand what you say? For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than all than more than you all. Yet in the church I would rather speak five words with understanding that I may teach others also than ten thousand words in a tongue. So he's saying, even if you have been given this gift and you are speaking in tongues, and the Holy Spirit is moving in you to speak in tongues, but because you are not speaking anything that can edify others, better not even to speak. Right? He's saying no one else can understand um, and say amen, meaning like no one can acknowledge and agree with what you are saying because they don't understand what you are saying. So this is the work of the Spirit, but without truth, in the sense that I am unedified by this work, even though it's a legitimate work of the Spirit. What about the opposite truth without spirit? Truth without spirit is legalism. Like the Pharisees, they, they knew the truth. They, they knew the whole law. They knew every commandment. They knew everything that was to be done. But they applied it in a very legalistic way. They didn't apply it in a way that, that understood the meaning and the reason behind the law and applied it in a spiritual way. Here uh, in, in John chapter 5, Christ says this. He says, you search the scriptures... For in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. So those people who search the scriptures, it means that they know the truth because they read the truth in the scriptures. Okay? And they are in fact the scriptures that that have in them the, the knowledge of eternal life, and they testify of Christ. But you are not willing to come to me, meaning what is missing here? It is not the knowledge that is missing. It is the spirit that is missing. You are not willing to come. You are not willing to act, right? You are not willing to give. Like we said, worship the, the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. You're not willing to do that. So maybe you know what should be done, and you know the characteristics of God, but you are not willing, okay, to come. Then we speak about the spirit of truth, right? So first we said the spirit without truth, and then we said the truth without spirit. And then we talk about the spirit of truth. What is the spirit of truth? And John 16 says, However, when he, the spirit of truth, which is the Holy Spirit, has come, he will guide you into all truth. 
for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. So the Holy Spirit grants both things. The Holy Spirit grants the knowledge of God and also enables, enables us to carry it out. This is why someone who is truly a Christian cannot worship God, cannot be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. This is why in the very first act of someone coming into the church, they receive the Holy Spirit, right? The very first thing, this is why the Lord actually, he told the apostles, do not go out and start preaching and establishing the church until you receive the Holy Spirit. Because without the Holy Spirit, you lack both the knowledge of God and you lack the, 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 the ability and the way in order to understand and to practice and to put it, put it to use, okay? So the spirit of truth is, is, is in, in the way that we worship God through the work of the Holy Spirit. So then we ask, what place does the emotion have in worship? Well, we said that we worship God with all that we are, right? With all that we are. What is emotion? Emotion is an effective state of consciousness in which joy, sorrow, fear, hate, or the like is experienced as distinguished from the cognitive states of consciousness. Cognitive states of consciousness means they are chosen, right? We choose to think a certain way, whereas emotion is um, not chosen, right? Emotion is something that we experience, like we experience it. And, and, and it's very difficult to control, right, an emotion. This is why one day you might just feel like, I don't even want to get out of bed. It's not useful to have that feeling, right? <laughs> Maybe it's much more useful to have a feeling of being energized and a desire to go to work, right? That would be a much more effective uh, feeling to have, right? But I don't have that feeling in that moment. I have the opposite, right? So an, an emotion is something that is unchosen. If we could choose our emotions, I think that would make life very different. But we can't. We can't choose to feel a certain emotion. But what we can do is attempt to engineer our surroundings so that we experience that emotion more often than, than, than not. So, for instance, if someone listens to music, it affects their emotions, right? Depending on the kind of emotion, the music they listen to. People, humans are affected emotionally by music. So if you put yourself, like, listening to a certain type of music, it tends to produce a certain kind of feeling. For instance, um, whenever someone comes to pray, maybe they'll light a candle, right? It creates a mood. It creates an atmosphere, right, of prayer, right? Maybe that is going to create an emotion in us. So one thing to understand about the emotions is that we cannot control them directly, but we can try to um, modify our surroundings or do certain things that we know are going to produce certain emotions in us. So the question is, are emotions and the spirit the same thing? Because sometimes it's easy for us to um, to confuse the two. You know, like if I pray, and at the end of my prayer, I'm very emotional, right? I'm very uh, I'm, I'm very emotional in the way that I feel, right? Does that mean that this is the work of the spirit in me? Uh, I don't know. Could it be the work of the spirit, or it could be just an emotion? Right, because emotions and the spirit are not the same thing. Emotions are random, unpredictable, and unreliable. You might feel a certain emotion one minute, and then the next minute you don't feel that emotion anymore. Right? The spirit is something that is reliable. The spirit is something that abides. The spirit is something that is consistent and constant. It is not something that changes from minute to minute and from day to day. So even though I might feel one day that I want to pray, and the next day that I do not want to pray. But the spiritual person will choose to pray. 
every day, regardless of how they feel. Maybe one day my emotions are supporting me in that choice, and there are other days where my emotions are hindering me in that choice. But the spiritual person makes a decision, right? It is not just based on emotion. This is why, like, when you have, like, maybe certain churches that just try to create emotion all the time, create emotion with the type of music, create emotion with, like, uh, sound effects and, you know, all kinds of, like, dramatic things happening, the way that they preach, the way that they talk. And, and the people who attend, maybe they feel like, wow, this is a spiritual place because it creates in me these strong emotions. But that's not the same thing as being spiritual. Being spiritual is a consistent choice that I am making because I value and I choose to worship God with all of my being consistently every day. That is a spiritual person. When you look at the martyrs, for instance, right? The martyrs were spiritual. We can all agree the martyrs were spiritual. Does that mean that they enjoyed the sufferings that they suffered, right? No, they wouldn't have enjoyed it any more than you or I would have enjoyed it. They endured it because their spirit was strong and they believed that suffering in the name of Christ would receive a crown in heaven. That this was the, the, the right thing to be done because of their strong faith and conviction in what they were doing. Not because it felt good to suffer, right? And that's, that's a very different thing. So maybe our emotions tell us that the last thing I want to do is pray, the last thing I want to do is read the Bible, the last thing I want to do, and that's fine. It's okay that that's the way I feel. Because our emotions, just like our whole being, after the fall of Adam and Eve, have been corrupted. Meaning, my emotions do not communicate to me what is actually good. Like, if my, if I, if my emotions were sanctified, then I would feel good about everything that is good, and I would feel bad about everything that is bad. Right? That means that my emotions are in line with the will of God, if we were sanctified. If we are purely sanctified, our emotions and our will and our, our mind and the spirit would all be in agreement about everything, right? And there would be no need for us to have this internal battle inside of ourselves where our emotions are telling us one thing, our mind is telling us something else, the spirit is telling us something else, and we're having like this internal conflict trying to decide what is it that I should do? What is the right action to take in a certain situation? Because they would all be sanctified together in harmony with one another. Right, But because we know that our emotions are not sanctified, that means when we approach the emotions, we have to be careful. Right? Maybe my emotions are lying to me. In the book of Jeremiah, it says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? So if I come to the emotions with skepticism, right? I don't just immediately say, oh, I feel this. I feel something. That means that feeling must be true. That means that feeling is telling me the reality. No, maybe not. Right? And when it comes to the spiritual life specifically, oftentimes the emotions lie. Right? The emotions will tell us prayer is annoying. It's, it, I don't enjoy it. After I do it, I feel like, what did I accomplish? Um, how, I don't want to get myself to stand up to pray. My emotions tell me there is no value in forgiving my enemy. It's difficult and hard, and I don't want to do it. Right? If we were to follow our emotions, right, then maybe the decisions that we would take would be very different. And this is what makes, this is, this is why we'd speak about the spiritual struggle. Why is it a struggle? Because our spirit is telling us one thing, and maybe the other voices inside, whether it be the mind or the heart, is telling us something different. And so there is a struggle, right? And, and, and the person who is successful in, in that struggle is the one who chooses the, the, the right principle, the godly command, what God has called us for 
and to be even if the other voices inside are contrary, right? The person who chooses to pray has nothing to do with the feeling of prayer, nothing at all, right? Now, we pray and we hope that over time our heart becomes more sanctified, right? So that a person who has been a worshiper of God for decades would find that their heart is more likely to enjoy prayer, enjoy spending time with God. This is our aim, this is our goal, right? But whether in the moment it is or not, the spiritual person doesn't care, right? The spiritual person is going to choose the spiritual thing regardless of how they feel. Feeling an emotion is like riding an elevator, okay? Whereas uh, someone worshiping in the spirit is like climbing a mountain. They're very different things, okay? Riding an elevator, you go up very fast and you go down very fast. And it's very easy. Like, you don't even put any effort, you just press a button. You go up, you go down, you go up and down as many times as you want in a day, right? Okay? You can you can and you can go so so high with an elevator, okay? Um and reaching the top is expected. You expect that when you go in the elevator, you expect to get to the top. And it's an easy thing. Whereas climbing a mountain is very hard. It takes days to climb a mountain, and it takes a lot of special equipment, right? And it takes a lot of special kind of effort. And you can go much, much, much higher than you can go in an elevator, right? Um, and, and someone who reaches those heights, maybe we look to them and be like, wow, this person was able to climb this tall mountain, and it requires years of training to go. So you see, even the nature of what is it that a person who climbs a mountain, what is it that they have achieved, very different than the achievement of a person who has ridden an elevator. You know, I'm sure you've ridden elevators, nobody applauded for you, that you reached the top, right? Because it took no effort. So a person who is feeling very strong emotion and in that moment they want to go feed the hungry and they want to, you know, sacrifice themselves and they want to do all of that stuff. Well, are you, are, you, are you doing that because in that moment you have that emotion or are you really spiritual? It's not the same. If you're really spiritual, you would do that every day. If you were really spiritual, that would be the life choice that you made every day and you would struggle to achieve it whether you felt it or not, you know. The, I remember there was a story that I heard from like an abbot in the monastery, I might have mentioned it before, um, who w described the experience that he had every time some new uh, monk joined the monastery. And he said when they first came to the monastery, they were so zealous, they loved to get up early, they loved to pray, they felt like they were completely like it, it enraptured with the environment of the monastery and the presence of God and they loved this decision that they made to leave the world behind and to do this. But after some time, that feeling began to go away and they were left with the struggle. They were left with that I have to choose to do something that is difficult, that against the desires of my flesh, to force myself to wake up, to force myself to pray, to force myself to work. And that initial joyful feeling that they had fizzled out. So now all of a sudden, because they are not supported by their emotions, everything is hard right? Everything is hard. Two people, when they fall in love with each other at the beginning, they're perfect in each other's eyes. And it takes no effort. It takes no effort to be in that relationship. It takes no effort to love the other person unconditionally because their emotions are supporting them. But at some point along the line, when those very strong emotions begin to fade, now showing love to your spouse is effort. It's work. It's something that I have to choose. It's difficult. It doesn't come for free anymore, right? So this is the nature of all of us in every way, in every aspect of life. Emotions can be very strong at one point and they can fool us. 
They can make us think, I'm going to feel this way forever. The monk who joins the monastery, I'm going to feel enamored and enraptured with the monastery forever. The couple who gets married, they think, I'm going to feel this way forever. And so maybe even in those decisions that are being made, right, we're, we're making them on wrong principles. Are you making the decision to join the monastery or to get married to this person or whatever it is based on the way you feel right now, like in this moment, assuming that you're going to feel this way forever? Maybe you're not. And if you're not going to feel this way forever, what am I going to feel later on? That's why we have to live according to principles and not just about how we feel. Again, I'm not saying that emotions are not valuable. Emotions can be very valuable. Sanctified emotions. Sanctified emotions can make it so easy to serve like with a real desire, with a real joy. And we ask God to sanctify our emotions. But the reality is, in many ways, our emotions are not sanctified. And we have to be careful and take that into account. The Jews welcomed Christ into Jerusalem with great fanfare, shouting, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord on Hosanna Sunday. But five days later, they crucified him. Right? When they saw him entering Jerusalem, they were like, this is our king. You know, Hosanna means save us. Like, like we see you as a king, as a savior, and we put our clothes on the road for you. You know, and, and we are so thankful for you and we love you. But five days later, they crucified him. How effective were those emotions? Was it based on any kind of principle? There were outward expressions, but they only mask the true nature. Okay? So whenever we, we apply the same principle to worship, we are like doing the same thing. Anyone, any Orthodox Christian, in their spiritual life, in their prayer life, it has to be based on discipline. Even St. Paul himself, he says, I discipline my flesh, I discipline my body, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. If St. Paul himself says, I cannot rely on the way I feel from day to day. I cannot rely that today I feel, you know, thankful or I feel happy or I feel close to God and the next day I don't. No, I discipline my flesh. Meaning, we l choose to live by certain principles whether we like it or not. This is the training. A person who is training to be an athlete, like an elite level athlete, they are training every day regardless of what they feel that day. Regardless if they feel tired or happy or sad or whatever emotions they feel, they have to train. And those are the ones who reach the highest levels of success because they do not allow their decisions to be affected by their day-to-day -day life. This is a quote from His Holiness Pope Shenouda. He says, The devil describes our love for God as mere emotions and no more. In fact, our love for God in its proper concept is practical love. Let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Whoever loves God does not, uh, does not disobey him, nor do, do what provokes his anger. So our love for God depends on our obedience to him and keeping his commandments, as the Lord has said. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. St. John the Beloved also said, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. To love God means that we do not love the world and all its lusts. For the Bible states, If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And the friendship with the world is enmity with God. So even what it means, the definition of loving God is not affection, right? Like to love God is not an affection, meaning it's not an emotion when we speak about loving God. Because maybe I love God today and I hate him tomorrow. Maybe I love God when he gives me all that my heart desires and when he denies me all that my heart desires, maybe I, I reject him, right? So, so if I happen to be in a place in my life where I'm at the place where I'm so thankful and happy with all the good things, 
that God is giving me. And I feel so blessed by all the good things that God is giving me. And for that reason, I'm, I feel like I want to come to church and I want to serve and I, I want to do good and I, want, and I get motivated, right? Well, the question is, is what happens if God takes it all away? Where will we be? This is the test of a spiritual person. This is the test for someone to know whether really they have faith or not. And this is what God did with Job. You know, when, when, when Satan came to, to God and he told him, you know, this man, Job, you say that he is so righteous, but if you, if you take away everything that he has, he will curse you. And God knew the heart of Job and he said, no, he's not going to curse me. But how many of us, if we were in the place of Job, would have responded as Job did? You know, so when we even evaluate ourselves, right, spiritually, we, we, we have to take this into account. Why is it even that we have faith at all? Why is it even that we come to church? It's because really we have such a faith that no matter what happens, we are committed to our spiritual life, to our belief in God? Or will there be a one point something that comes along that will make us to curse him? And this is a question for each of us. How much are emotions playing a part in my spiritual life? Again, emotions can be a great support, but they can also be a great hindrance. And if I allow my emotions to, to control me, then it's only a matter of time before it becomes such a hindrance that maybe I, I, I leave completely. This is why the basing our life on a discipline, on a principle, this is the only way for us to weather any kind of storm that will come in our life and allow us to maintain our faith despite whatever problems appear, whatever problems come. Because they will come. They will come. And when they come, how will we respond? If I respond with my emotions, then maybe they, you know, it's like building my house on the sand. There, there's no foundation. The moment that, this, that the water and the waves and the flood comes, it all washes away. But if I build my house on the rock, then no matter what comes, I will not waver. Also, emotions should not be the goal, right? There's nothing wrong with being moved to tears during prayer, but the goal is not to cry, right? We shouldn't look at the outcome of prayer. You know, sometimes you have a, such a prayer where you feel so comforted and you maybe even cry tears in the prayer and you walk out feeling like God heard me. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's great, actually, that we have that. And that's an authentic feeling for sure. But the goal should not be that, okay, my prayer is only effective whenever I walk out crying. You know, whenever I walk out of it in tears and with this wave of comfort that comes over me, that means my prayer was heard. But if I don't feel that, if I don't cry, if I don't feel like that very intimate feeling that I might have with God, that means my prayer was not heard. That means my prayer was ineffective. That means like it did nothing happen. No, that's actually false. The real fruit of prayer is transformation. So for instance, if I'm praying and asking God for to, 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 to help me overcome sin, the real fruit of the prayer is that I actually overcome sin, right? The real fruit, the more we spend time in the presence of God, the more we change. And that is the fruit of prayer. It is not the way I feel immediately after the prayer that determines if it was an effective prayer. It's the long-term effect. Remember the difference between riding the elevator and climbing the mountain. It is a long-term effect that happens over years. It is not just how I feel in that day, right? And that's, that's a big difference. An emotionally charged sermon might inspire us temporarily, but we can only bear fruits in our spiritual lives through perseverance. 
Same is true with attending a, a, a prayer meeting. You know, a lot of people will say, you know, after they go to the monastery and then they come out, it's like, oh, I feel very different. I feel like very motivated. I feel like I want to change my life. Okay, good. That's a good feeling. And God will grant us that. God will grant us that to help remind us. But you should not think that the way that you feel on that day when you leave the monastery is the way you're going to feel for the rest of your life. You shouldn't think that, well, I'm just going to naturally start praying more because I have the feeling now. No. Let the feeling that you have, that kind of revival feeling, let that feeling be the reason to create a plan, to create a spiritual discipline that you plan to follow from now on. Because the day will come when you will lose that feeling. The way that the monks feel in the monastery is not the same way that maybe a person who goes visits the monastery for a few days feel. For them, it is work. Like, this is work, what they're doing. They don't have that euphoria, right? They're, this is their daily life, right? And they have to work and struggle in order to, um, to do it. Also, we can feel emotions from many things. Like, you can want to look, see a cute kitten and feel emotions, right? Like, like, emotions are so vulnerable. They're so fragile. And they are affected by things that don't even make sense. And there's sometimes we have certain feelings we don't even know why. I just wake up one day and I'm in a bad mood. Nothing happened. I'm just not in a good mood. Or maybe other times in a very good mood and I don't know why. Right? So emotions are not reliable. We can't just trust them. What if I feel nothing? If I'm not moved with emotion to God when I pray, maybe instead of trying to set the mood, I need to examine what about my life is distancing me from God. Uh, uh, Isaiah said, but your iniquities have separated you from God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Maybe I can examine myself. Like if I'm not feeling closeness with God, there could be reasons why. Are there sins in my life that I'm just kind of like these beloved sins that I refuse to repent of, that I refuse to change, that I cling to because I feel like I, I don't want to address them. Maybe this is the thing that's preventing me from having this positive emotions that I have toward God. My iniquities are separating me. They're making me feel uh, separated from him. Or they're even preventing me from establishing this discipline, right, that we are talking about. Prayer and spirituality requires training, reading, perseverance, putting what we learn into practice, faith, and a long life with God. It does not happen quickly or without effort. And part of denying the body is forcing it to pray even when it does not feel like it. In Mark 14, when, when Christ was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he told the apostles, watch and pray lest you enter temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And when he went off to pray and he came back, what were the disciples doing? They were sleeping because they couldn't stay up because it was hard to stay up and pray. So you see, this is the battle between the flesh and the spirit. And it is a battle that we will fight our entire life. The person who really is a spiritual person who overcomes is the one who continually fights against the flesh. And fighting against the flesh is painful. Fighting against the flesh is hard. It is not easy to do. Waking up at 4 a.m. in the morning in the monastery to go to the midnight praise, it's not an easy feeling. It's not like you wake up and you're joyful and happy. No, you're not happy. You do it because you must. You do it as a, as a training. You do it as a discipline. You do it because you know it is good for you. But, and I think a lot of people who force themselves to wake up at 4 a.m. to go there, once they get there, they're so thankful that they did, right? That they're, they're so happy that they... They push themselves to go and that there is a peace that comes with pushing ourselves 
you know, um, and not giving in to what our flesh wants. What about if I'm filled with emotions? When we do have an emotional experience during worship, we should not think and contemplate on it like we have reached some high level of spirituality. Spirituality is built by denying the body and exalting the spirit. Meaning, if we do have a lot of emotions, great. I know people who go through like a phase of their life where like suddenly they want to read the Bible every day, they want to pray every day, uh, they want to do, you know, like complete, they attend every Bible study, like a complete transformation. It's like, where did this come from? But then six months later, they leave the church completely, right? Why? Well, because maybe God granted you this period of time where you feel very motivated and energized. But like I said, the goal of this time or what we should be doing this time is saying, I have to be serious. I have to make a discipline for myself. Don't just let every day decide for itself what I'm going to do. If we just say, you know, I'm going to wake up today and I'm going to, if I want to pray, I will pray. If I don't, I won't. If I want to read, I will. If I don't, I won't. That is a recipe for no growth at all, right? Because your emotions are going to keep going up and down, up and down. And so there will be no reliability, no consistency in our spiritual life if they are driven only by our emotions. God-given emotions. Also, His Holiness Pope Shenouda, he said, tears are suited to all types of spiritual fervor, whether the fervor of love, repentance, or emotion, the tepid person, however, does not have tears. He needs to return to his first love and fervor for tears to return to him. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. Tepidity comes as a result of carelessness or entertainment. Treat carelessness then in your spiritual life and be cautious of entertainment. What he's saying is, don't be distracted. Okay, If our spiritual life is the, is the ultimate priority that we want to pursue in our life, don't be distracted by many other things. And if, if, if God can grant us the godly emotions, right? But even when the emotions come, don't rely on them. Don't rely on them. Like, yes, in the moment, if, if God is making me feel like this very strong feeling of repentance, great. Okay, I feel, I feel repentant. I, I'm crying because of the sins that I commit. You know, sometimes a person maybe is struggling with the same sin for years. And they come and they repent and they confess and they say, I committed such a sin, I committed such a sin, I committed such a sin for years, the same sin. And yes, it's, it is a repentance and God accepts it and forgives the sin. But there are times where a person is so cut to the heart by that same sin that when they come to repent and they confess, they're coming with tears, they're coming in brokenness, they're coming with this feeling like they, like, like they want more than anything for God to lift this burden from them. That is also repentance and that also God will forgive. But there's something about that second person Right, that God has granted them such conviction of sin, that person is much more likely to break the pattern of sin, right? Because they have fought, they have fought, they have fought. So emotions again can be very positive, but when they come, we have to realize okay what they mean. So emotion is a gift that God gives those that persevere in the way. Okay? Emotion is not the goal and should not be expected or copied. There is nothing wrong with setting the mood during prayer or worship, but let's not become preoccupied with our feelings and forget the reason for our worship. True worship results in repentance and a changed life, not emotion. If we do feel strong emotions, then thank God and do not fall into pride because of them, and also do not rely on them. If we do not feel strong emotions, then continue with perseverance until such time that God grants us our desire. James 1.4 says, But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. The person who is truly successful in their spiritual life is the person who continues to fight all the way until the end, right? 
At any point in time, it's easy for us to stop or to stumble or to pause or to rest. And those times are the times where we regress. And those are the times where it's easy for the devil to begin to tempt us and to lead us astray. So I just wanted to share some of these thoughts about emotions because, again, emotions are very important and emotions can be very powerful and they can be very helpful, but also emotions can be very hindering. And so we have to be careful to, to look at how we feel and, and, and take the appropriate action based on, based on that and, and, and live a life of discipline, not just kind of going back and forth based on how we feel from day to day. Any questions or comments? pray in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit one god amen we thank you O lord for this day we ask for your blessing in everything and we ask O lord that you help us to develop a spiritual discipline the way that we live our life the things we allow ourselves to do and to see the prayers that we pray the fastings that we perform the ascetic practices that we do we ask O lord that we do not feel complacent or feeling that we are safe because the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, and that he wants to destroy us. We ask, O oh God, that you protect us with your righteous right hand, and you allow us to be safe in the church, the ark of salvation, and you grant us, O oh Lord, every spiritual gift through the work of the Holy Spirit in us, so that we are strengthened and that we grow, and that we are protected, O oh Lord, from every attack. We ask, O oh God, that you help keep our eyes on heaven, that, our, that this is our purpose and our goal, and that you will allow us to see it, O Lord, according to your time and purpose. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God, the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior, Jesus Christ, the communion, the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace, the peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.